Welcome to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We are so glad you decided to join us. We want to help you to know God, find freedom, and discover your divine purpose so that you can make a difference with your life. We pray this message encourages you, inspires you, brings you hope, and builds your faith. I want to start a brand new series called I Love My Church. Come on, let's say it all together. One, two, three. Church. Let's try it one more time. I love my church. That was good, but this time with a little stank on it. I love my church. There you go. You got to put a little sass in there, you know. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is what King David wrote in Psalms chapter 122, verse 1. He said, I was overjoyed when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. I was overjoyed, like there was joy, and then I was over that. Like, I was overjoyed, you couldn't keep me back. I was ready to be there. I was in line waiting for the doors to open so I could get a good seat, so I could be on the dance floor during worship. Y'all didn't know we had a dance floor down here, did you? Subtle way the pastor is saying it's okay to dance during worship. Today I wanna just share a message of encouragement. Uh, just, I want to strengthen the faith that's inside of you. I want to breed passion in you. I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to serve Jesus in a passionless, boring kind of way. The Bible says, uh, uh, in the Passion Translation, it says, uh, God didn't call us and set us free to live a boring, grave-tending kind of life. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. And so I want to breed passion in you today. That's why we get a little loud when we praise. That's why we jump around, get a little sweaty. That's why some of you are looking at me like, what's wrong with him? I'm just passionate about Jesus. Some people are possessed by things, but Scripture says we've been possessed by Jesus. And, you know, so like there's something inside of us that we just can't keep quiet about. We can't keep to ourselves, and you don't need to adopt my style. You need to be you, boo. You, you can be passionate with the personality and the style that God gave you. And so I want to breed passion, Holy Spirit passion inside of you today for what God is doing, for what God is doing in your church here at Victory. I want to breed passion in you for what God is doing in your family, for the revival that's breaking out in your family. Come on, somebody. Anybody been praying for your family? There is revival breaking out in your family and your extended family. Long enough, the enemies had a say, but no more. Come on, I want to breed passion in us today. But I, I also, as much as you know, I want to build you up, I also believe this is a prophetic declaration. This message today, it's a prophetic declaration of who we are at Victory, of who we're going to be. You know, like, we don't, we're not just here to, to have Christian karaoke hour and patty cake, thanks for the great message, and go back home and just be the same. No, we came here to be in the presence of God. And listen, when you're in the presence of God, you can't help but be drawn closer to him, to be more like him. We want to leave this place not the same, but more, uh, more charged up, more ready to go out and make a difference, knowing who God is in a deeper way. This is a prophetic declaration because I believe there's an anointing on this house to see people who are far from God come to know God. There's an anointing here on this house to see people who've been scattered, brought back into the family and connected. And see, the interesting thing about the anointing that's in a place, when you plant your life in that place, that anointing then transfers into your life. There's anointing that God wants to transfer into you to see people raised up in their giftings. 
so that your children can be raised up to be effective at a young age in their giftings and their callings. Come on, somebody. Parents said amen. There's, a, there's an anointing here to equip people to lead, to see families restored, to see the lonely brought into families. That was one of the things when we first moved here to Orlando back in 2014, um, before the church started, and we were just having interest meetings. Man, when we moved, we didn't know anybody. We just, you know, we knew Pastors Caleb and Sarah, some of the people on the team, but we were lonely. And uh, we spent too long being lonely. We were serving in the church. We were doing the things. But how many of y'all know you can show up and still be lonely? You know, so often people say things to me like, oh, I couldn't just connect with people in that big church. Did you know the size of a church doesn't matter about if you can connect with people or not? It's up to us. We can connect with people. And, and God had to speak to me and my wife and, and help us realize that we were feeling lonely because we had made separation. We had put walls up. And we realized that as, as we stepped into leadership just two and a half years later, July 30th, 2017, I'll never forget that day. It was the day that we became the pastors of this church. And God spoke to me on that Sunday as I was preaching about the vision for our church was that, that God would use this church to bring the lonely into families. That's why we always say, this is family. We're better together. And so I hope you don't leave lonely today. I hope that you linger a little bit after service, make some new friends, single people. Maybe you get a lunch date. You're welcome. And... Um, Praise the Lord. <laughs> I got a few jokes today. That might be the best one. But today we're celebrating eight years as a church. I know we talked about it, but I just, I just want to, um, in all seriousness, like God deserves all the credit. Uh, it's not me. It's not anything else. It's God deserves the credit for us being here eight years after in position, really, for what I believe he's bringing into um, and so today as we start this series, I love my church, I, I want to share a message that I'm calling Rooted. Let me hear you say Rooted. Rooted. Now, I got a confession to make. Don't be mad, okay? I love you guys, but I got to tell you this. Uh, I did not come up with this phrase, I love my church. I didn't. I, I've, we've actually done a series in the past called I Love My Church, uh, preach something different. Uh, other churches do things called I love my church. Aren't you glad other people love their church? Um, we're so thankful for all the churches in our city. Um, but really there's been, you know, this phrase I love my church has been around for a long time and there's one person who came up with this and he's been shouting it since the dawn of creation, since before the earth was formed. He's been shouting I love my church and his name is Jesus. Jesus loves his church. I want to show you this in Scripture so you don't have to take my word for it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Peter, uh, Jesus is walking with Peter and his disciples, and they're having a conversation. And he says this. He looks at them, and he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my hopes and my dreams. On this rock I will build my career path and your financial status and your retirement package. No, what did he say? On this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. He says, he goes on. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Did you know these scriptures go together? They're a continuation. It's not two different thoughts. 
Jesus is saying all of this as, as one thing. I mean, and it's a pretty awesome thought when you think about this today, that there is supernatural power, there is supernatural authority that is available when we are rooted in the church. Did you catch it? What did Jesus say? He said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell, the devil, uh, depression, anxiety, brokenness, all that kind of stuff will not be able to overcome it. He said, in that place, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heavens. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Do you see the spiritual power that is available to you when you are in the house of God? Uh, the one thing that Jesus said he would build on this earth and that the devil would not be able to overcome. Jesus never said the devil wouldn't be able to overcome your career or have, uh, be able to overcome the financial markets or anything like that. He said the, the, the devil will not be able to overcome the church. And then it's no wonder when we begin to understand this why our spiritual enemy, the devil, works so hard. He works overtime to bring an endless supply of things to creep into our lives to separate us, to push us away from the church so that we get involved in everything else as the pursuit of our life. Anybody ever noticed that before? You know, uh, we see it so clearly happening in culture. You know, people... Um, getting separated, you know, and it makes sense. The devil would not want you to be in a place where you have access to the kind of authority and power where you could bind up what he was doing and loose angelic forces to fulfill the word of God. Psalm says that, that when we speak the word of God, the angels are listening to go and then accomplish the word of God that we spoke out of our mouth. No wonder the devil doesn't want you doing that because it's going to mess up his plan. And we see it happening in culture in staggering numbers like never before. Uh, there's a movement called post-church and it's where people believe they don't believe in God they don't believe that God is an important part of life they don't read their Bible they don't believe in church they don't think that faith or any of that really matters in life it's called post-church and in fact in a recent study that just came out Orlando the city of victory ranked 49th in the nation as the most post-church city in the country for nearly 44% of our 2.5 million in our city are, consider themselves, say they are post-church. God doesn't matter. I don't need that. It's probably not even real. It is sad. I did the math. That's, that's almost 1.1 million people. That's just right off the bat. The people that openly say that's not real. That doesn't even count the people who might believe in God but are unsure or whatever else. They're just far from God. In fact, a similar study showed that only 36% of the 2.5 million in our city believe in God in a way where their faith is active, where they attend church and consider themselves serving God. 36%. The devil is on an all-out attack to push people away from the places that God puts spiritual authority and power. He wants to separate us from that place. Uh, then it's no wonder why people get into this place where they think they, uh, I don't need the church, I'll just serve God on my own. And I know it's a lot to think about and overwhelming all the people, but listen, this, uh, th those numbers, those post-church people, the people that are distant from God, that's why those people are why Jesus loves his church. He loves his church. That's you and me. I don't know if you realize that. We are the church. Come on. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist for the world. We exist for the city of victory, for Orlando. We exist for the 1.1 million people who are post-church, right? Because we have something in us that we know that they need. That's why Jesus loves 
his church, right? The Bible calls the church, in different places he calls us the body of Christ. He calls the church the bride of Christ. He calls the church the, the army of God that's pushing darkness back from the earth. He, he, he calls us his family, his sons and his daughters, right? Um, you know, this is what he calls us. And I believe the church that Jesus died for, the church that Jesus left on the earth is not a dead, stale church. The church that Jesus started and left on this earth is revolutionary. It's full of power. It's advancing across the earth. It's doing amazing things. Even with all the issues inside of it, the church that Jesus started is the best thing this earth has. Come on, I only got about 30% of amens, but that's okay. That means I got the right message today. You know, the church is a place of refreshing. I hope you're refreshed when you leave here. It's a place of refuge. When you feel like the storms of life are too much, man, find somebody in church and get close. You know, that's, that's the thing that I, I find is that most of the time, people, I think, want to be connected. People want to be rooted in something that's life-giving. But then what happens? We, get, we go through a storm. We go through a difficult season. We go through a loss. We get hurt. And then the natural response, it seems like so many times, is we back off. We push away from the very thing that was designed, if we would draw into in those painful places, would actually bring healing and life to us. Right? And so we've just got to become aware of those things and realize we're not, just, we're not just attending. We're not just showing up. We are rooted and planted in the house of God. Let me hear you say rooted. rooted. All right. There, so as we talk about this, I, I want to just kind of circle back and just kind of refresh us all on, on the vision that we have here at Victory. We have three parts to our vision. We have our purpose, our mission, and our values. And so I want to just kind of just refresh us of these so that we never lose sight. Our, our purpose here at Victory, we exist. And if you know it, you can say it with me. They'll put it on the screen as well. We exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and connect them to their purpose. Come on, y'all sound good. Let's go. That's why we exist. Everything we do as a church is going to be about one of those two things. Reaching people for Jesus helping disciple and grow people. Come on. And, and, and in doing that, it's nice to have that little statement, but if we don't have some guardrails, some guides along the way to help us accomplish that purpose, then it can easily just turn into some nice things that we do and not really be all that effective. But I don't want to go through a, a, a whole bunch of other Sundays. This is Sunday 416 in our church's history. I counted. And um, I don't want to go through another 50 Sundays another, and be at our 10-year anniversary and just be like, well, we had some nice services. What a bummer. No, I want to accomplish the purpose. So we have the next part, our mission. How are we going to make sure we're successful in accomplishing our purpose? Well, we do that by helping people, and if you know it, say it with me, helping people know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Those four things help us to filter, are we being as successful in accomplishing our purpose? And the third part of our vision here at Victory is our values. Our values then help us to... Um, they help us to define how we act while we're accomplishing our purpose. Because how many of y'all know I can, I can feed people in the name of Jesus, but if I'm the meanest, honoriest cuss in the world, then what good did I really do? 
So our values help shape our behaviors, who we're going to become while we're accomplishing our purpose. For us, our values start and end with the love of God. Everything that we do is centered and because of and motivated by the love of God that is in us. Why does our setup team come at 7 a.m. and our teardown team stay and move all this stuff around and sweat on a hot Florida summer? Well, because of the love of God inside of them for you. Come on, why does our Victory Kids team over there jumping and shouting and teaching your children Jesus on their level? Well, it's because the love of God motivated them to be there to study, to be prepared. Come on, the love of God motivates us in everything that we do. Our other values are this, unity. We protect the vision of Victory Orlando Church. Family, we are better together. Generosity, we live to give. Compassion, we're a local church with a global vision. Teachability, we have a desire to learn and a willingness to grow. Hashtag adulting. Come on, we just finished the series adulting. And fun, we love what we do. Come on, we love it. This is fun. We get to do this. And so I I just share that because I want you to know who we are and who we're going to be. And I don't mean who we are by who the leaders are, who we are. All of us together, this is who we are. This is who we're going to. To be. I want to show you this in the Bible. Uh, if you've got your Bibles with me, anybody brought their Bible with you to church? Woo-woo! We make, can make a little noise when you open your Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Um, I normally preach out of the NIV, but I want to read this passage of Scripture from the message uh, version. Uh, he says this. He says, I ask the God of our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. So there's the first part. We, we want to help people to know God. So here, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church, and he's, he's writing like, like he's praying out loud almost. And he's saying, I pray this way for you. I pray that you would be able to know God personally. Man, and that's, that's the thing of it. I want you to know God personally. Not like you know a Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise, like you can't pick up your phone and call them, but you can, you can get on your knees. You can start talking to God at any moment because you have personal relationship with him. He said, I pray that you would uh, be able to know God personally. I pray that your, he says, your eyes would be focused and clear. There's the find freedom part, right? Because the reality is we all have a past. We all have a yesterday We all have something the devil brings to try to put hooks into us, to pull us down, to pull us back from the place that God has for us. But Scripture says Jesus died for freedom. He said it is for freedom you've been set free. So you don't have to be stuck in addiction. You don't have to be stuck in anxiety or depression or fear or sin any longer. Jesus came so you could live the best life. So you could live the good life. Jesus didn't die and suffer so you could live broke, busted, and disgusted. He wants to set you free from the the poverty and mentality and mindset so you could live in abundance. We've got to get some freedom in your life. You ever been in the movie theater? And then you walk outside after the movie's over and you're like, blinded, you can't really see. You know, you're like... Like, that's the picture almost I see when he says that your eyes would be focused and clear because in that moment when you step outside, like, you can't see clear, but God wants you to bring clarity to you, find freedom. Then he says, why would we need freedom? He says, I want your eyes to be focused and clear so you can see exactly what it is he's calling you to do. There's the discover your purpose. Did you know God has a calling on your life? Okay, I got two amens from the front row. 
God has a calling for your life. And it's not one day, someday, when I graduate high school, when I go to seminary. It is today. God has a calling on you today to make a difference in the life of somebody else. He says, I want you to see exactly what he's calling you to do. And what is it? He says, I want you to be able to grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy and boundless strength make a difference. Let me hear you say make a difference. Come on, this is what the life that God has called us into. And it's, it's amazing. Uh, endless energy, boundless strength. Doesn't that sound good? Come on, you don't even need coffee for that kind of strength. Um, I mean, I love coffee. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I want, I want you to see the next verse, verse 20. Let's continue. He says, all this energy, all this endless energy, this boundless strength, all of this purpose, all of this calling, all of this freedom. He says, all of this energy comes from Christ. Then he tells us why God raised him from the dead. He set him on a throne in deep heaven. Doesn't that sound like a movie? Deep heaven opening this Friday in a theater near you. God, <laughs> God raised him from the dead, set him on a throne in deep heaven, in charge of running the universe. I mean, I try to just run my life sometimes. Jesus running the universe Everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He's in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. What about your life? Does Jesus have the final word on everything? But look at this next, next line. At the center of all of this. So at the center of Jesus running the galaxy... At the center of Jesus being over governments, at the center of Jesus being ruling over everything and being at the center and the heart of everything, at the center of everything, Christ rules the church. Isn't that interesting? Christ rules the church. So we're starting to get a, a picture, a glimpse of what matters most in all of creation to the heart of God, to the purposes of God. You know, it's like the galaxy could stop running, but Jesus will still be running the church. Right? He says at the center of it all is the church. So what about you? What is at the center of your life? Look at the next verse. He says, the church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. Woo, we're getting deep in the house. That word peripheral just means like secondary. It's like an extra thing that's added onto something. Like back in the day when I first started using computers in the late 90s, there was these things called peripheral devices. So when you needed to put like a, a CD in, you had to get an external CD reader, plug it into the computer. It was, it was a secondary and outside device. And here he's saying that the, the, the church is not secondary to all that's in the world. All that's in this world and that it has to offer is secondary to the church of Jesus. Right? In other words, the church is not on the outside looking in of what God wants to do. The church is the center of what God wants to do. It's, it's the base. It's everything that he's doing in and through. It comes from the place of the church. And the world and culture would tell us that we should separate the church and push the church way over there. We even see it in our, in our culture, separation of church and state. Hmm, interesting, isn't it? No, I, I believe that, you know, uh, you know, I never try to get political because I don't think that's what the church is for. I don't, I don't need to preach about politics. Um, so, but I absolutely believe that the church should influence politics. Yeah. 
you know, um, the church is, is central. It's at the center of it all. Um, but the, the reality is, I don't know about you, but we have things to do in this life. We got careers, we got jobs, we got finances, retirement's coming, we got kids to raise, events to be at, you know, anybody else? And, and, and vacations and hobbies and all that kind of stuff. Good stuff, things that God put in this earth for us to enjoy, to experience life. And, but what happens so often is that if we're not careful, slowly, gradually, kind of behind the scenes, our life can gradually shift to being focused on those things. And then the church gets pushed out and pushed out and pushed out. And yet here he's saying that it's not, the church is not there for convenience when it fits in on a Sunday when there's not a game or something else going on. It's there, that's the main thing and then anything else happens afterwards, right? And, and we just have to be careful about what we root or plant our lives in. You can root your life in anything. It's always interesting to me when people uh, root their lives in their favorite sports teams. I love sports. Today's the NFL kickoff and I'm thankful my team's playing the late game, you know, but I've had people tell me like, Pastor, I'll see you when football season's over. I mean, I love, I love football, but man, what a sad reality that people have rooted themselves in a game, in a team, like when we can root ourselves in Jesus, the ruler of all, the only one who died for us, the only one that can heal us and make us whole. It's Christ at the center. Look what he says next. He says, the church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he fills everything with his presence. I don't think y'all got that. I'm going to read it one more time. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks, acts, and fills everything with his presence. I don't know about you, but that's what I want in my life. Anybody else? I want to hear God speaking, right? I want to see him moving in my life and my family, and I want to feel the presence of God. I, want, I need him to fill me every day because I don't have enough on my own. Anybody else? But what, apparently what Scripture is telling us is that the place that God does those things, the place that he speaks and acts and fills everything with his presence, it's right there in the text. It's in his church. It's in his body. And so if we're feeling like, God, I can't hear you. God, God, are you moving? I don't see you doing anything. God, I don't feel your presence. Would you fill me up? If we're constantly feeling like that, it could be our lives have been rooted in something other than his church. Because he says right there where he will speak, act, and fill everything with his presence. The lie that too many believe, though, is that I can do, I can serve God on my own. I don't need the church to serve God. And that's probably true. You can, you can be saved. You can know God and probably go to heaven without being in the church. But listen, it's just going to be a lonely, rough life. It's going to be a life devoid of purpose because what we're reading in the Bible is that, man, what, what God wants to do through the earth is going to take place through his church. And so many people, uh, you know, especially today, they want to feel the other way. I'll just worship Jesus at home. I can just, I can just podcast it and whatever else. And what happens that I've, I've seen is that then they go from every kind of podcast. And I've seen people pulled away from their faith because why? They're not rooted in a place. They have no, uh, no authority. No one's speaking into their life. No one knows their name. I don't need to serve in church. I don't need to give in church. All those kinds of things that lead us to. And then after a few weeks of that, then we end up coming to church thinking it's Burger King. My way right away. And if you don't, then I'll find somewhere else to be. That's not being rooted. You know, Jesus in you is not meant to be the end. Jesus in you brings you into his church. Come on. And you have to, we just have to be careful when it becomes just, oh, I'll just, I'll just serve just Jesus and me. There's that subtle shift towards selfishness and pride. 
I don't need that. I don't need to be a part of that. I can do this on my own. There's just this subtle shift, and we've got to be careful to, to, notif- to, to be alert of that in ourselves, that when we start to think that church is that thing that I can do when there's nothing better to do, <laughs> come on. Uh, you know, church was meant to be central. I think about my friend uh, Danny Vasquez, a member of our dream team. You've probably all seen Danny walking around. If you haven't, hopefully you get to find him today. Uh, but I remember a conversation we had a while back because uh, we use an app to schedule our teams. And he's like, you don't have to worry about putting me on the schedule. You can count on me to be there. I was like, whoa. You can count on me to be, like, being rooted in the house, being planted. Like, uh, you don't need to worry. I won't be there. When the doors are open, I'm there. And please, please don't hear what I'm not saying. Church is not limited to Sunday morning attendance. We are the church. So when you go to work tomorrow, you're still the church. Everywhere that we go, we are the church. This building is not the church. Even if it was our building, it would still not be the church. It would still just be a building that God allowed us to have a service in. But even a service, the music, the lights, they're like, that's not church. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. You know, when he describes the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, he doesn't put an address on it. He says, you, we are the body of Christ. We together, another place in scripture, he calls us living stones in the house of God. You are a stone building the house of God. And he says we are built on the chief cornerstone, which is Christ. Right? Interesting thing. Here in Florida, a lot of homes are built with cinder blocks, right? When they build a cinder block home, what do they do? They stack each one on top of the other, right? What they don't do is they don't stack one cinder block here, one cinder block over here, and another one that doesn't want to be around these cinder blocks way over there. What kind of crazy home would that be? It would be all shaky and there'd be nothing to the home. We got to realize we got to be together in this thing. We are planted in the house. Psalms 92 verse 12 says it this way. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. I love the palm trees around Florida. Planted in the house of the Lord. Let me hear you say planted. They will flourish in the courts of our God. Now, I'm a dude, and that word flourish feels a little girly to me. Anybody else? Oh, anybody of the men? Come on. We, we, our women's ministry here used to be called flourish. Now we just call them women of victory. Let's go. Um, but I looked up what that word flourish means because it just felt like, okay, I'll, I'll flourish. But flourish literally means to grow or develop in a healthy or vigorous way. Yeah, that's more manly. As a result of a favorable environment. So he says, the righteous will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, you will flourish, you will grow, you will be vigorous and vibrant when you're planted in the house in the courts of our God. They will bear fruit in old age and stay fresh and green. Come on, I want that to be me. Anybody with me? Like when I'm old, I don't want to be the old mean guy in church who, who talks about Jesus but is mean to everybody. Like no one knows you're a Christian except that you're in the church. Like, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be, when I'm old, you know, I want to be, you know, have patience. I want to have the fruit of the Spirit. I want this to be me. He said, I'll have fruit in old age, right? Uh, uh, You know, the King James Version says it this way. He says, they will bear fruit in old age. They will be fat and flourishing. Let's go. 
When I'm old, I want to be fat, baby. Faithful, available, and teachable. Come on. And those that need the pH fat, I want to be patient, humble, available, teachable. Who wants to be a little fat and flourishing in our old age? Come on. And I want, to be, I want to be fat and flourishing so that people would see that the power of Christ actually works in me. That it can actually produce faithfulness. That I don't have to have scandal in my life. Things don't have to fall apart. That I can go through storms and be okay. I want to be faithful and planted because a, 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 a plant that is planted in the ground can survive a storm. But one that's just in a pot cannot. We got to be planted in the house. We're rooted in the house. Um, you know, in this, the scripture, as you read it, he says, those who are planted, it implies that we have to put ourselves there. It's not like God will force you to be planted in the house. No, he says, those who are planted, meaning we have the choice where to plant our lives. You get to decide, but just not everything will cause you to be vigorous and growing and healthy and flourishing. Being planted in the house will. We have to do something specific. In a practical sense, what does that look like when we're planted and rooted in the house? Well, it looks like I'm there when the doors are open. It looks like when the family's together, like I want to be there. Like I'm, I'm connected to people. It looks like people know who I am. Uh, I'm in a group. I'm on a team. I'm, I'm in places where people know my name, they know my story, and they know my moods. I know y'all got moods. I got moods. People know my moods, and they can call me out on the carpet and be like, what's wrong with you? I'm fine. No, I can tell. I know you better than that. I'm rooted in the house. I'm, in, I'm invested in a place. I give up my time, my resources, and my treasure. Like rooted. When I'm rooted in a place, when, when you go to Home Depot and you buy flowers and you put it in the ground, everything of that flower is in that place. It's not like part of the roots are here and the other root is over here in this hole and another root is over here. No, it's all in, baby. It's all connected. It's all right there planted in the house. I actually brought a plant with me today. I went and bought this little plant last night. When you go and you buy the plants, they come in these nice little pots. You ever seen one of these at the store? And what's interesting is that this is just a great picture of so many people. We come to church in our little pots, and we look nice. We've got the little green leaves going on. We've got some dirt on the top. But we look all put together. We look nice. It's even got like a little flower that's dying over here. That's sad. But it's probably because... This little pot can't support life. This little pot was never meant to be the thing that could supply nourishment. You see, wherever this, this plant gets potted, if I take it out of its pot, I'm going to make a mess up here. Sorry, guys. Wherever you take this plant out and you put it in the soil, whatever the soil is that the plant is put in, that will be the thing that supplies the nutrients for this plant to be able to grow. The soil will determine if this plant will be able to th grow and thrive and produce more flowers or fruit or any of that. If, if you don't believe me that the soil matters, go to Home Depot or Lowe's today and watch how many people buy the $6 bag of dirt. Soil matters. The kinds of things you put your plant in matters. The thing you put your life in matters. See, this pot was never the thing this plant was supposed to be in to be able to grow and produce life. The soil was. Everything, work, life, entertainment, sports, all that kind of good stuff was never meant to be the thing to plant your life in so that you could produce fruit, so you could support weight, so you could supply things and have a flourishing life. No, the church was. The church was that soil. It's just that, it's just that so often we come 
We want to come and we want to look like this so that we look put together. We like to come into church and we sit near each other, but we still have our walls up. How are you doing today? Good. I'm blessed. Thanks for asking. Your week was good? Yeah, I was busy, but it was good. You know, like we like to have this look like everything's fine on the outside, you know, and, but really on the inside, we don't want people to see how messed up we are, that our roots are crunched in together, that we're really, we're really dried up and desiring water. There's no, nothing life-giving in there. We want it to look nice on the outside because when I take this plant out, things get a little messy. Things get a little dirty. Stuff kind of gets all over the place. Oh, I didn't mean for that to go there. Like when our roots come out and we get out of the pot and we get planted into some soil, there's going to be some dirt. There's going to be some things that don't go right. There's going to be some things that don't go the way we planned, right? But you can't live for long in this pot. You can't support any weight. If I set this little plant back on my porch during the storms that we have at 3 o'clock every afternoon here in Central Florida, what would happen? This plant would probably blow over. The dirt inside would get spilled out because it can't survive when it's here. But if I put it into the ground, if I plant this in the ground, that plant will be able to survive the storm. I don't know about y'all. I love to drive around, uh, you know, where we still have the orange groves in Central Florida. Isn't that awesome when you see those and you put the windows down? Smells like Florida, like the oranges. Man, that is awesome. I love that. What's interesting about those orange groves when you're driving around is that all the trees are planted together. One tree, another tree, another tree, another tree. It's not one tree over here, one tree over there, and another tree over there. No, they're all planted together. Why? Because there's strength in numbers. So when the storm comes, when things come and they want to push them down or, or try to cause problems, those other trees are there to help support, to lift them up, to keep them safe, to work together. There's strength in numbers. You see it the same in corn stalks or apple trees or pear trees or whatever other kind. They're planted together so that they can grow and flourish and produce a harvest greater than they could at home. But by and large, so many people come this way. And then they start looking around at all the other messed up people. What's wrong with them? Because I'm perfect. Well, of course, because you're in a pot. Of course you are. You got to get out of the pot and into some dirt, some healthy dirt. So let me say, welcome to healthy dirt. <laughs> this is a good place, not a perfect place. No perfect people here. I know when you walked in, you had your little halo on, but it got a little less perfect when you got here. I love you, though, and I'm so glad you're here. You know, that's what I always say. Like, I don't care where you were yesterday. You're here right now. We're here to grow, to know God more. None of us will ever get it right all the time, but we're getting out of our pot. We're getting into some soil. We're getting our lives planted so that we can grow and flourish in the things of God, right? We're not a generation who's going to stay in our pot or, or compare ourselves. No, we're going to get out, right? We're going to be connected. We're going to get around those kind of people who will bring the Kleenex to the party when we need it, who will cry with us, who will rejoice with us, who will speak the word of God to us, who will support us, right? Who will call me up to another level when I need it. Somebody will call me up and we can have a good time together, enjoy life together. That's what we're looking for. You were never destined for a pot. You are destined for the soil. Come on. I'm preaching 87% better than y'all are amen in today. You know, I'm not looking for a group of swipe, swipe right kind of people. I'm not looking for swipe right kind of friends. I mean, thanks for filling the moment. What good is that? 
I need people who are going to be there, surround me, be in my, invested in my life long term. And it just, is it just me? Come on. Like, we don't, we're not looking for that swipe right. Like, we're looking for people who are covenanted, planted, rooted together. And whatever storms, whatever challenges, whatever dirt comes our way, it's going to be all right because we're rooted. We're in this together. Come on. I think about back in the, at the very beginning of creation when God created the world. He created the Garden of Eden and he created Adam. Put Adam in the middle of this garden. It was perfection. Everything he needed was there. He lacked nothing. And he was standing there. And in the midst of perfection, God looks at him and says, it's not good for man to be alone. You weren't created to go through life alone. And even if you're married, come on, it's not good for married couples to go through life alone. We, got, we need each other. So what did God do? God pulled a rib out of Adam, made a woman. I think that's why men like ribs so much. And <laughs> must have smelled good. Ah, there's going to be a cookout in heaven, I'm convinced. I don't care what y'all say. <laughs> God made a, a woman, and he brought the woman to the man, and he said, now it is good. It's not good to be alone. You weren't created to be alone. And I've watched enough Discovery Channel to know that when lions are hunting, they don't go after the pack. They go after the one who happened to fall behind, the one who was a little weaker than the other and got disconnected from the herd because that one is easy to be picked off. When we're together, it's a whole lot harder because we can surround each other. We can lift each other up. We need each other. That's why we say we're better together. Look at somebody and say we're better together. Um, anybody ever cut their thumb off? I almost did. They're going to put a picture of it up there on the screen. I almost cut my thumb off one time, and uh, I was on my table saw doing some things. There it is. There's me right in the ambulance. It's kind of sideways, but you get it. Thumbs up. It's still connected. It's still there. And I just, I just happened to look the other way as my hand went across the blade, cut my thumb down to the bone, and had to have surgery and everything. But it's still there. It works. It's good, baby. You know, like I got 10 still. Praise the Lord. But it's an interesting thing. If my thumb had got cut off and it was just sitting right over there, it would just be a bloody thumb sitting over there. It wouldn't have any heart. It wouldn't have any vision. It wouldn't have any lungs. It wouldn't have any imagination. Why? Because it wouldn't have a mind. It wouldn't have any feeling. It wouldn't have anything like that. Nothing to pump blood with. Nothing to have life flowing in and out of it. And the longer it sat there, it would just continue to decay and die. And yet that's how many people are trying to serve God. Cut off. No heart. They have no vision because they're just over there on their own. No, we got to get together so that we can have vision to change our world, to reach our city with the life-giving message of Jesus. So how do we plant and root ourselves in the house of God? Great question. Thanks for asking. I want to today give us four keys that I believe will help us to be planted and rooted in the house of God. And if you're taking notes, hopefully you'll write these down. I'm going to go through them kind of quick so that we don't run out of time today. The first one is this. If we want to be planted and rooted in the house we got to develop a contributor mentality. Contributor versus consumer. So many people come to church with the consumer, the commercial mentality. Did you know you don't come to church to give your tithes in exchange for a good sermon? You don't, you don't come and be part of the church so that one day when something bad happens in your life, that the pastor will show up at your, at your house. That's, that's not why we're here. Those things will happen. 
right? But it's because we're connected together, right? There's a difference between a consumer mentality and a contributor mentality. But I would suggest that we are spiritual contributors, not just spiritual consumers, right? Our name, you know, it's like we're not here to say, my name is Jimmy, gimme, gimme, gimme. Or if we spiritualize it a little bit, I just wasn't fed there today. Well, did you come on purpose or did you come for you? And I, I understand the sentiment. Please, please hear my heart. I understand what people mean when they say that. But again, it's the subtle shift towards pride. It's the subtle shift toward selfishness. Well, this should be all about me. And it's not. Jesus is the center of this church. Come on. Jesus is the center of everything. Thing. It's just that we like the out in relationships, don't we? <laughs> we like to have that side outdoor in any kind of relationship, in marriage, in friendship, in whatever it is. You know, we like to have the out. That's why divorces, you know, 50% of Christians have gone through. Like, we want the out. And I would just encourage you, those that are married, just get the D word and just, it's not a word anymore. It's just off the table. That, that being said, please don't, um, you know, if you're being abused, please get to a place where you're safe. And we'll work through that. We'll start with forgiveness and work through that. But number one, be safe. But listen, that word, like, like it doesn't exist. Come on. Jesus said God allowed divorce because of the hardness of our hearts. Okay. We've got to have this consumer, this contributor mentality where we're not coming to church like our cell phone carrier. Oh, it's good. I've got good service there. But as soon as the service isn't good or someone offers me a better deal, I'm going over there. No, that's not being rooted. That's being a consumer. We are spiritual contributors, right? We're not looking for the way out. We're looking for the way to be in, the way to be there. And I, don't know, I know that being together as a church is not the easiest thing because people... <laughs> people are just people, and everybody doesn't do the, what, what we want all the way. But being planted and rooted in the house of God, it's not like being a consumer at your favorite restaurant where you like it until they change things up or where you like it until the service isn't good enough anymore. And I'll just tell you, our team, we work hard to make sure we serve you well. Um, and, and if there's a complaint or something that you have, please let us know. Our complaint department is called Next Steps. And in there, we'll give you an application to be part of the solution and not just part of the problem. Um, for those that don't know my wife, she does not like to eat at Olive Garden. But it wasn't always that way. Back in the day, uh, we used to love going to Olive Garden, and we'd eat there frequently. Um, and, uh, but then one day it happened. They changed the recipes and, blech, you know, like if you like it, good for you, you know, but my wife just, she just doesn't like it anymore. And so guess what? We don't eat there anymore because we are consumers. But that's not what we're supposed to be like in the church. We're rooted. We're planted. We're here for each other. We're here to make a difference. And part of this consumer church and, and relationships just won't do. To be effective in our calling, to be effective as the church, to be appealing to those who are far from God. We've got to be rooted. It's no wonder to me that people look at the church and they're like, what? Because so often we are like the bride of Frankenstein. We've got thumbs that have been severed off and we've got to force it to be attached and shock it to life once a week. No, you've got the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead in you 24-7. Come on. 
You carry the life, the anointing of God everywhere you go. See, we've got to get out of, uh, of, of consumer and into covenant. Covenant is not like a contract. A contract will tell you when it starts, when it ends, what I'm obligated to do, what you're obligated to do, and if you don't do your part, what recourse I have against you. A covenant says I'm in all the way forever until, it, till the, till I'm gone off this earth no matter what. It's just different. It's like when we enter into the covenant of marriage. It's just, it's not a contract. It's a covenant before God. And can I tell you, the devil hates covenant. He hates, he hates being rooted. Why? Because he understands that's a place of authority. It's a place of blessing. And so he comes and he sows the, the subtle seeds of, well, God, I didn't really feel you today. God, are you really working? You didn't, you didn't answer my prayer how I wanted God, can you, can you actually do this? And he sows these subtle seeds to get us to back away from this contributing to where it's all about us, right? He wants to destroy covenant. He wants to destroy unity. But God loves it. God loves covenant. Let me show you in Scripture. God loves unity. Psalms 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together with their opinions. Oh, y'all are going to let me get away with anything today. Okay. Y'all, you got to shout your boy down. Come on. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Unity. How, it's like the precious oil on the beard, uh, running, uh, on the head, running down on the beard, on Aaron's beard, running down the collar of his robe. This is a, a picture of when Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and he anointed his brother Aaron to serve as a priest in the tabernacle, in the presence of God. And before he could go in to minister before the Lord, he had to put on a special robe that they had made and, and everything. And then Moses would take a brand new expensive flask of oil and break it over Aaron's head and pour it over him. And this oil would have run all down over him, all over his head, all the way through his Duck Dynasty beard, all down his robe, just getting everywhere in the Kool-Aid, everywhere. Just made a mess. Like, and this is the picture of what unity is like. It just runs all over everything. Covers every part of us. He says, look at the next part. It's as if the dew of Mount Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there, the place of unity, the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. One version says, the Lord commands his blessing in the place of unity. See, God wants us to be connected. He wants us to be unit, in unity together, so much so that he says, in that place, I will command my blessing on you. That's a good place to be. Come on. Um, I'm going to skip down because I'm running out of time. I think about Noah and the ark. Anybody remember that story, Genesis 5 and 6? A 600-year-old guy building a boat, uh, bringing all the animals in, bringing his family in. Rains came, floods came, boat starts to float. I don't know if you ever thought about this. Uh, I was thinking about that this week. When the boat started to float, can you imagine the sounds from the animals? And I often wonder, like, how were the lions and the tigers with the deer and the antelope? Were they, like, chasing each other, doing laps around the ark, you know? Like, what was that like? What kind of food was supplied on the ark, you know? And, and we all know what happens, what follows food, you know? A little poop. Can you imagine the smell on this boat? <laughs> They're floating out there for a long time, and <laughs> there's got to be some smells. That's just real life right there, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, but what's interesting, with all the noise, with all the smells and everything else, none of the animals, none of the people are trying to jump ship. Why? Because the ark was still the best thing afloat on the earth. 
that was the one place on earth where life was found was on the ark. And I just wonder if there's anybody in the church today who can scoop some poop out of the, out of the ark so that other people can have some space. Too often we're like, oh, this is too hard. I don't want to deal with that. When God has called us to be spiritual pooper scoopers and get some junk out of the way so that we can stay rooted and connected in the best thing, the one thing Jesus said he would build on this earth. Come on, we got to be contributors, not consumers in, in this life. I love Psalms 84. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper, the lowest of the low. No one might know my name. I'm just, I'm doing, uh, everybody overlooks me, but I would rather do that in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Come on. Uh, did I do number two already? I'm, I'm, I lost my place. Here's number two, the key to being rooted in the, house of the God, in the house of God. It's going to take effort from you. If you really want to be rooted in the house, you, it's going to take effort from you. It's like the awkward conversations when you meet somebody new. <laughs> I know it's awkward. I know it feels like, hi, my name is Chris. What do you like to do? You know, like, I know it's awkward, but if you never push past the awkward, you'll never have deep relationships. Anybody have like 5,000 Facebook friends but no real deep friends? Everything is just surface? Why? Because we haven't put in the effort over the long term. It's going to take the effort to linger around, to talk to some people, to invite somebody to lunch. It's going to take the effort to rearrange your schedule to one night a week to be in a group where somebody can know you. It's just going to take effort. It's not the size of the church. It's the amount of effort that we put into being rooted and planted and being together. Uh, that's why one of the things I love about my friends Brian and Karina, uh, they've, they've been coming to the church for a while, but especially over these last few months, man, they've been connected, getting plugged in. But what y'all don't know is that they drive from Altamont Springs. Come on, that's a long drive. And my friend Sabrina is driving from... Del DeBerry. I knew it was one of the D names. Deltona, DeBerry, DeLand, up in that. Like, it's a drive. It's a sacrifice. But some things, there's something that's worth more than the things we hold in our hands. Right? There's something of value when we begin to be rooted and planted in a place, regardless of what it costs us in time or resources. Like, we just got to begin to put the effort in. It's a shift of our mindset. It's a shift to, to go beyond to think, like, I won't fit in. Look. I, just look me in the eye real quick. There are no clicks at victory. Amen. There's just no clicks. There's just groups of people that have dove in with all their feet and said, I'll serve, I'll do whatever is needed. I just want to be a part. I just want to be rooted and connected. I just want to be planted, right? And listen, there is a place for you. It will be better if you are a part of it. We want you to be there, so just go ahead and jump all in, and it might be a little awkward first, but that's all right. We'll get you some swag. You can wear your own, and then you'll just fit right in. People like you. People want to know you. And you have something of value to add to other people. We've got to make the effort. Here's number three, being rooted and planted in the house. Check your habits. Check your habits. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. The dictionary word for habit defines it this way, a settled or regular tendency or practice, especially one that is hard to give up. Habits. Uh, turn with me, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It says, let us hold unswervingly, or one translation says, let us hold without giving up to the hope we profess. 
For he who promised is faithful. So let's not let go of our faith. Let's continue to hold on. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Here's how we do that. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's the capital D day. That's the day Christ returns and raptures his church uh, uh, in the end times. Like that's the day. So the closer that we get to Jesus' return, he's saying y'all need to encourage each other even more. You need to be together even more. So much so that it becomes a habit. One that is hard to break away. So let me just ask the question, what is your habit? Because COVID changed a lot of people's habits with church for a reason. I'm not even going to say a good reason. That's a whole other discussion. But it just changed some people's habits. It got people away from the habit of being planted and rooted in the house to now there's just so many other options. And I get it because I remember seeing how, feeling how easy it was sleeping in on Sunday morning, not doing setup, brewing my coffee and just sitting without sweating and just being able to watch church on my little device like this. I get it. But this is so much better. There's something about being in the house. There's something about being together, being connected together. We're talking about keys to being rooted in the house. Number one, develop a contributor mentality. Two, it's going to take effort from you. Three, check your habits. Here's the last one today. Your treasure will show where you are rooted. So if you want to know where your life is rooted, look at your bank account. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 6. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. In other words, your heart will follow where you put your money, where you put your time, where you put your resources. It's just a spiritual biblical principle. If you don't believe me, go ahead this week when you get home, withdraw $1,000 from your bank account and invest it in the stock market. Two things will happen when you do this. Number one, you will get a call from your spouse. Why did you take $1,000 out of our bank account? Second thing that will happen is that you may have never cared about the stock market before, but you will be looking at it, refreshing the screen every five seconds to see what that stock is doing. Why? Because you put your treasure there. And now your heart is following it there. That's how God designed it. And I'm just always surprised at how many people are like, I love my church, but they're not invested. They want to have the opinions. They want to sit at all the leadership tables, but they don't want to give. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So come on, let's get on our feet today. Thank you for listening to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We hope today's message helps you take another step closer to knowing God and finding freedom through His Word.